I love it. You notice Aaron Macklin was smiling in that video? He's right back there in the sound booth. Everyone turn around and wave. Aaron got engaged last week to Emily. I know, isn't that fun? He is one of the sweetest guys I know. I promoted him yesterday into that realm. I got three of them on my list. So uh, Today is Graduate Sunday. I know when we first came in, they said Senior Graduate Sunday. And some of us old people thought, like, is that like a euphemism for a funeral? It's not. It's seniors in high school graduating. So just rest assured there won't be any of that going on. Um, it's a special day. My, my daughter Clementine was up here. She is my last high school graduation. I know, and that's me. I'm kind of like, yeah, but then I look, a lot of the, the women up here are crying, so it's just, I don't know what to feel, because, you know, like, as men, we're like, woohoo, empty room, and women are, like, crying, and, like, she's not going to prison. She's, she's going to college, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a bad guy. First service, uh, Carrie Morgan came up, and this was interesting. Uh, you know, the Morgans, Carrie and Rhoda, they said their first Sunday to visit Grace was Senior Sunday. And what impressed them about Grace was the videos and hearing the seniors talk. And I was thinking about that because it's not necessarily that the seniors are just amazing, although they are, but I think what they sensed was that a lot of times when you meet kids, they can be a reflection of their family. And so I think for the Morgans to come in and, and to kind of see the seniors, they thought, man, there must be a community of faith around these seniors for them to be kind of how they are. And so... Uh, I just think it's amazing. We celebrate today not just these seniors and what they are moving towards, but also the community and the love they've found over the years. And, and I know graduation is a happy time. Um, a few years ago, I shared that high school, I almost didn't graduate, um, almost got kicked out of school on the graduation day. Uh, you would think I would learn, but I didn't. And so college, I almost didn't graduate as well. Um, now, it, it's not what you think, just just lower that thought. Uh, but what happened, it was kind of my fault. So in, in college, I went to a Christian college. I came from a military all-guys school. So it was a little bit of a, a clash of cultures to say. But I decided that the Christian college I went to was just a little bit boring and they needed fun. And so I created what I called the birthday club. And the rules were simple. On your birthday, we would prank you. And if you participated, you were in the club. Now, if you watched... You're safe. But the minute you laid hands on the birthday boy, you're part of the club. And so all through four years, we would prank people on their birthdays. Well, as the founder and CEO, um, an idiot, they decided that my graduation, it would be fun to get me again. And so, and now, no visuals. In fact, here's a picture to keep visuals out of your mind. This is me, my senior year. Uh, that's in Yosemite. That's my roommate. The year before on graduation, he shot out the window of a Porsche 911 that was a gift for a, a kid, but well, that's another story. Um, so we're both idiots. Anyways, senior night, uh, night before graduation in college, I end up, uh, long story, in a pair of Texas swim trunks and a pair of cowboy boots, and that's it, okay? Don't do visuals, no pictures, don't worry. And I, they put me in the trunk of my buddy's car, you know, because that's how we do it. It's 11 o'clock at night. And they drive me uh, into Huntington Beach, into a neighborhood, and they say about a mile away is Beach Boulevard. Steve knows that. Turn left at Beach, there's a Denny's. And if you can be there by midnight, we will give you a ride home, otherwise you're stuck. Now, when I say this to young people, they're like, well, duh, cell phone, Uber. Hello, we didn't have cell phone or Uber. I'm old, okay? And so literally it was like, beach is that way, turn left, Denny's, you better get there. And so I, I find myself in cowboy boots, 
Texas swim trunks. Now, I'm not from Texas, but I went to high school, and so people in L.A. assumed I was a Texan. And so um, they took off, you know, with some fanfare to make the neighbors look out. Now, what I first decided was I was slink behind cars because I didn't want to be seen. And then it did dawn on me that if I looked out my window and saw a man in swim trunks and cowboy boots, what would I do? I'd call it in, right? And so I'm like, not good. So then I just kind of boldly strolled down the sidewalk, which again, just like creep fest going on at many levels here. So I finally make it to Beach Boulevard, head to left. I don't have a watch because literally swim trunks, cowboy boots. And they didn't give me socks and they weren't my boots. So not comfortable. I mean, not cool. I, I, you know. Well, I finally see Denny's and I'm thinking, okay, I think I'm good. And lo and behold, there's four police cars in the parking lot at Denny's. And I may not be a smart man, but I know not to go in Denny's when there's four policemen there. And so I don't know what to do. I see my friend's car, you know, because I knew it's trunk very well. And I hide behind the car. And no joke, at midnight, my buddies come marching out. They, like, they weren't bluffing. They were going to leave me. And so from behind the car, because I don't want to stand up and get arrested, I'm like, Psst, hey. And they look over, and they're like, dude, we're not taking you home. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, the deal was be in Denny's by midnight. You didn't make it by. And I don't think I cried. I probably begged and, 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 you know, cajoled a little. In the end, good news, I actually got to ride in the front of the car, not the trunk, and I got back to school. And, and, and the worry was I would get arrested at any point, and I probably could have. Here's the picture I was thinking of with that story. Is that at Biola, Christian school, we're equipping ourselves, preparing ourselves to go out into the world. And we would do things with the world, you know, up to that point. But that was really kind of that launch. And really that picture of being dragged into Huntington Beach in my swim trunks and boots was a picture that I wasn't as ready as I thought I was. I was thrust into the world prematurely. And what I didn't know is that that's what was about to happen. And and let me explain that. I went to an all-guys, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I was taught, the, you know, about Jesus and stories. Uh, I did struggle with Sunday school, I'm not going to lie. Uh, snacks were cool. The, the bane of my existence as a young follower of Jesus was hand motions. Like, you know, the singing and the hands and deep, deep, and I st- like it traumatized me. And you always get stuck next to the really smart kid. It's like deep and wide, and then they speed it up. And those of us who don't track, we're just like drooling, like, like I hated Sunday school. And I know there were good stories, and they probably talk about Jesus a lot, but I just dreaded like the hand motion song. And somehow, I don't know why, like we thought you can't teach a kid about Jesus without hand motions. But so I, I survived that. I get off to high school. And now, my high school was very competitive academically, sports, whole nine yards. And, and so I would say I entered into what seemed a positive thing of competition and accomplishment. But what I didn't realize is I was moving away from Jesus. And by the end of my high school, with no parents around and no spiritual kind of oversight or community like this, not only did I move into kind of that worldly idea of success, but I moved into full-on just like, do what you want and, and forget about Jesus. And so that was my existence. College comes. I had some scholarships, and I called my dad one night and said, I don't want scholarships. I want to go to a different school without the military. Uh, he hung up the phone on me. And then he called back a week later and said, if you want my money, you have to go to a Christian college. I hung up the phone on him, so our wires were a little crossed. And then eventually we came to kind of this, like, compromise. I would go to the Christian college. And so I went there. Um, and I'd been a lot of things in life. I was never a hypocrite. So when I got there, I kind of like, you know, either get in or get out. And so, and I met some good people. And so I began to follow Jesus. But, but here's the challenge. I entered an environment after this competitive environment. And, and I just kind of jumped in like, let's go for it. 
And, and so things like Bible studies and accountability and like going downtown Hollywood with the homeless, I'm like, yeah, let's go over. It's like, and to me, it kind of felt like this big competition or at the very least, hey, let's, you know, let's make up for all the stupid stuff you did in high school. And there was something missing. I wasn't as equipped as I thought I was. And, and so I got out into the world and I realized that there were just some things not lining up. I remember one of my favorite verses, and it wasn't a verse I would put like on my you know, uh, uh, yearbook, because they'd be like, what's wrong with you? But really my secret favorite verse from Paul, Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> Anyone ever, I'm, I still have days like that, like what's going on? But then Paul says, and I love this, because I think of Paul as just like this devoted disciple. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate, I do. And I found in my life, those things I knew I should do, I wasn't doing, and the things I knew I shouldn't do, I was really, really good at. Paul goes on to say what? Who will save me from this man that I am? And the answer is Jesus. And so I began to realize that what was missing in my education, both falling away and coming back, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and so what I want to do today I want to talk about what was missing. And I want to do it actually from the book of Romans. We're going to go through Romans 1. Um, It's a passage you've heard a lot of times of what we're going to do. And I think sometimes we read it. I I do this. When I hear a passage I know, I tend to, yeah, 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 nod, nod, nod. Or we just kind of like slur through it. And yeah, yeah, I got that point. I've been there, done that. I I want to challenge you to slow it down. And we're actually going to slow it down. We're going to use some visuals. And I want us to kind of think through what it's actually saying. The title of the sermon is The Key That Unlocks It All, and I want to challenge you that I have the key that unlocks it all. And so for those of you about to go out as seniors, you better get this key because I didn't have it. Now, some of you that have been out, I want to challenge you and remind you we still need this key. The gospel is not something that saves us and we cast to the curb and now live on our own. The gospel is something we cling to every day. Will you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this morning as we look into your word, that your word is living and active and does not return void. And so by virtue of having your word declared this morning, something will happen. I pray that any words of mine that distract from your word, that that, that get in the way, that they would just fall to the ground like little speech bubbles just popping and falling. I pray that people would walk out of here not remembering stories or, or opinions or points, but they would remember what your holy scripture says and thank you that your word will do what it set out to do in Jesus name amen and so I want us to look at Romans 1 now Romans 1 beginning about verse 18 describes God's wrath against humanity very friendly book and so it talks about that you know sinful man the things we deserve it has a lot on general revelation and so there's things in the world that point to God and so all men are without excuse but then Going down to Romans 1.21, he describes how we got there. And I want us to look this morning how we got there. And you're going to see visually that the key is in the verse. So let's go there, Romans 1.21. If you have a Bible, an app, it'll be on the screen. Hosea is going to help me. we got some visuals to kind of reinforce it. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And so the beginning of the condition we find ourselves experiencing the wrath of God is this. People do not know, glorify, or give thanks to God. You get it? 
And so they turn. And, and then what's going to happen, what we're going to see in a progression of events, is what happens when this occurs. And it's catastrophic. The next verse, but their thinking became futile. Their thinking does not work. It's useless. It's pointless. And again, and you're going to see this over and over, and pretty soon you'll just say it with me, because they don't know, glorify, or thank God, they don't think straight. And many times in our lives we find as we move away from the truth of Scripture, the truth of God, the truth of the gospel, our minds get really messy. So they have futile thinking. And then it says, and as a result, their foolish hearts were darkened. And so when we move away from glorifying, giving thanks, and knowing God, our hearts become dark. The things we think impact the way we feel and experience life. And so there's been days as we move away from the God of the universe, we have dark hearts. It can be feelings, it can be depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. But as we move from this, and we haven't moved very far, our hearts are darkened. And none of us want to live there. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became what? Fools. Now, when I say fools, I'm not saying idiot or dummy or uneducated. What I'm saying, the biblical definition of a fool is what? A fool says in his heart, there is no God. So a fool has done this. And when we do this, we become fools. Do you see it? And so by walking away from the God of the universe, we become fools. Then what happens, verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What they walk into now is idolatry. Because if you're not going to acknowledge God and your mind is futile, your heart is dark and you're a fool, you begin to practice idolatry. Now, there's parts of the world, many of us have been, where you will see statues. You go into home, and there's statues, there's things they worship, uh, there's animism where they worship nature, and it's easy to wag our heads and say, those silly people. Remember about a few months ago, Gary stood up here and says, we practice idolatry in America. We have more sophisticated idols, but they still live in our home, and they still occupy our passion and the place that God should occupy. Verse 24, because of the idolatry, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And so what I want to say here is they began, we begin to walk in sexual impurity. When our, when our hearts are dying and our minds and we're experiencing all this and idolatry and it's not really meeting our needs, we began sexually to operate in ways we were not designed to operate. Verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. And so really what I want to say here is they leave truth. They abandon truth to find what their itching ears want to hear. And let me be very clear. They is not just the world. We are told in the last days that people who claim to follow God will go to find what their itching ears want to hear. And I'm going to tell you, we have this curse called the internet. Anything your ears want to hear, you can hear it. If you want a certain doctrine, a certain theology, a certain belief, and you want to have it endorsed by a pastor or the word of God, you can find it on the internet. You will exchange the truth of God for a lie. Next step, 
They worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so what happens now? We take our eye, because we did it back here in step one, we take our eye off the creator and we focus on the created things and begin to lay down our lives and worship them. A simple way to express this, I would say, is materialism. We want the stuff and not the giver. That's what we live for. We lay down our lives and say, I I want the stuff. I want the feelings. I want the benefits. I want the thrill of having it. Because of this, and this is not just materialism, but this chain of events, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful action with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Let me just be clear here in Romans 1. When people say homosexuality is not specifically addressed in Scripture, it's specifically addressed here with illustrations. I don't mean pictures. That would be awkward. But, like, he says what it is. And so if you study, like, Presbyterian theology, it says, well, homosexuality that Paul talks about is a man with a boy, not a man with a man. Whatever. Right here, it's clear as day. Do you hear me? Now, the person walking here... Sexual deviancy, we can go beyond this. We look at this, and we speak to this, and we say, stop doing this. If you look at it in context, the cure and the problem is right here. That did not happen overnight. Do you hear me? Okay, let's keep going. I know this is dark. You're like, this is how you want to send the graduate? Just just work with me. We're going to do the keys in a minute. Just let's get there. Uh, and, and, you know, when you look around, the graduates aren't here. They're setting up for lunch. They didn't walk out because they heard it first time. Just anyways. Uh, verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. And so now, as a result, we have depraved minds. Like, it's not just futile anymore. It's actually depravity. We are inventing ways to sin. We're inventing ways to express these things beyond what's natural. They have, now, I know some of us, we look up here and we're like, well, maybe a little bit, not too bad, uh, pretty good, yeah, not there. Um, just in case you're like, I'm not hanging on the clothesline, Paul's going to throw you up there. You ready for it? Here we go. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Anyone guilty of anything on that list right there? Okay, so we're, well, a few of us. Okay, I'm glad for a few of us. few of us are up there, and so I would call this just full-blown wickedness. Like, it's just, like, the, the light is gone. We've, mo- we've moved so far from the light, we're just walking in darkness. And then verse 32, we kind of see, and, and Gary landed last week when he talked about surveying the wall and, and the, con- the state of our nation. Listen to what happens. Verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. They know and they approve. Now, I'm using the word they. I want us to think for a minute as we look at this clothesline what we see. 
Like, like, don't raise your hand, don't point to the person next to you, but I want you to look at that clothesline and see if you see any kind of pattern or anything that stands out. Maybe the Holy Spirit is one of those words hangs there, just kind of convicts some of us. Four things I want to know. First of all, last week we talked about surveying the wall, and a lot of times we're kind of focused down here, but the wall did not happen overnight. The wall is a chain of events. The wall is a progression that gets us where we are. The other thing I want to remind, especially seniors as they graduate, we often tell young people, the world you're walking into is nothing like the world I lived in. And, and, and that's partly true. I mean, if you mean like Uber and Internet and things, I didn't even know. Like, I don't, I, someone out front said, this woman says, are you good at Internet? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I push buttons and packages come, but I don't know what it means or how we got there. But here's the deal. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything you see here happened in the days of Sodom, and that was pretty early on in the book. Everything you hear is happening in Rome. That's why Paul's writing about it. Rome, this mighty, successful, wealthy, opulent empire, they got everything here going on and more. And is it true that we're living in a culture where these things happen as well? Absolutely. But, they, but I want to remind us there's nothing new under the sun. This is not the first time this has occurred. The good news of that. Is the same gospel that brought healing to the Romans brings healing to us. I also want to challenge us. It's easy to look up here and to begin to think about them instead of we. And I know in my personal life, a lot of times when I focus on them, it's because I don't like what I see within. I get exhausted dealing with sin. There's a song, and I can't remember the words, that talks about weary of wrestling with sin. There are days when the mirror that hangs in my bathroom, I don't want to look that man in the eyes. And what I would rather do is begin to look out in the world and say, them, they, and how they do it. And it's both. There's a balance. And here's the reality, and we're going to get there. I can look the man in the mirror in the eyes because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lest we think that this is the world and not us, let's remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, he didn't address every one of these, but he kind of handpicked some of the top ones, and he basically said, hey, you've heard it said, don't do blank, but I tell you, if you do it in your mind or your heart, you're the same thing. So be careful up here when you say, well, that's the world I live in, and that's my neighbors, and that's them. That Jesus would say, like, tone it down and calm down. And here's why we can do that. And we avoid that. I don't, I don't want to be this. But because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and its forgiveness, I can be real with myself. I don't have to avoid looking at the man in the mirror. I don't have to walk in shame. And then finally, I want to remind us of this. We look at this, and there's a lot of do-nots up here. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The goal of the gospel, the goal of Jesus is not to stop doing these things. And some of us have bought into that lie. When I came to Jesus in college, my goal in life was to stop smoking, stop drinking, and stop cussing. And some other things, but those were my top three. In fact, I thought if I could accomplish those three, probably God would just bring me home. He'd say, like, man, that will, he's finally arrived. Bring that boy home. Guess what? You're like, he didn't bring you home. You probably didn't have full victory. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. But here's the deal. God did not want us to get rid of our sin and become a zero. God wanted us to get rid of our sin so we could move into the things he designed us to do. All of these do-nots 
point to something we should be doing. Does that make sense? We're going to show that in a minute. We're going to flip these over and say, instead of doing this, God wants us to move to something. Not to become zeros that are sinless and live in a room and just kind of protect ourselves and say, as long as I don't screw up, God's going to love me. That is not the goal. So what do we do? Jesus, the genius, Jesus, the brilliant, when he comes to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have figured out how to hide all this. I'm not saying they didn't have any, but they've learned to like identify what's out there, and they've learned to pretend and to fake and to hide and, and to mask it. And Jesus says to them, Matthew 23, 25, and 6, Woe to you, t- teachers of law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. They're hypocrites because they're pretending like none of this is true. You know what the cure to hypocrisy is? Just be real. It's not really hard. Just acknowledge your junk, be real about it, and then you ain't a hypocrite. He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind indulgence. Blind Pharisees, watch this. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So I want us to, to think about this real quick. Anybody got keys? Pull out your keys. I was going to hand out keys, but I thought, everyone has keys. That would just be a waste of money. Get out keys. I know, there's probably some young person that says, I have no keys. My iPhone starts my car, gets me, okay. That, that's probably, you know what, then pull out your iPhone because that's your key. Just get over yourself. All right, here we go. I am going to show you the key to unlock all the doors. And here's what I want to show you is when, the God, when God gives us keys, when God gives us this kind of news, it's good news, not bad news. Now, I hope you're able to identify that we live in, in some of this. Now, here's the challenge. Undoing any one of these is not easy. Some of these are ingrained in our lives. Some of these are patterns. Some of these are like neural pathways that our minds have created through addictions and sin. And they are not easy. And so if I said, man, get rid of this one or this one or this one, you're like, how am I going to do it? I'm not saying you can't. And I've battled, man. I've battled like with with accountability and books and studies and AA and all kinds of things. And I'm not putting those down. Praise God, those are good things. But these are difficult. These are journeys. You know what? This right here is easy as pie. For us to know there's a God, glorify and thank Him, we could do this second if we chose. Some of these, they may not go away overnight. This one right here, we can do. There's no excuse, actually. So I want to suggest to you that right there is the key. Now, right there when Paul writes it, he's talking about general revelation. He's talking about things in creation. Later on in Romans, he gives a specific revelation of the gospel. I'm not going to preach you the gospel because a senior in high school came up here in communion and laid the gospel out. So, praise God, it didn't he do an amazing job. That is the gospel. And I love going to grace. I love the idea that every Sunday we declare the gospel. We declare the new covenant. That right there is the key. And so I want you to see briefly what happens when we flip these around. So instead of not knowing, glorifying, or thanking, what do we do? We know, glorify, and thank. This is a picture of the gospel. And in the same way, abandoning that led to a chain of events. There will be a chain of events when we acknowledge the gospel in our lives. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. We call it Christ abiding in us. We call it Christ living, not us. We call it abide in me, and and things will begin to happen. So watch what happens. Feudal thinking becomes a renewed mind. 
when we wake up in every moment, no glorifying, thank God, our mind gets renewed. And here's what I mean. Romans 12, 2, later in the book, he tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing. Some of us, when we don't do this, and we're like, what is God's will? What does he want? Like, do this, and a renewed mind is going to lead to you being able to know what the will of God is. Darkened hearts become enlightened hearts. Hebrews 8.10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds that have been renewed and write them on their hearts. Jeremiah talks about hearts of stone becoming hearts of flesh, and so we get renewed hearts when we begin with the gospel. Becoming fools, we become wise. Anyone in here ever feel like a fool? I do. And I don't just mean dumb. I mean like there is no God. My life's not reflecting point number one. And here's the good news. It's easy to fix that one too. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, amen, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. I am so thankful for that. When I go to the God of the universe and say, man, I need wisdom, and say, you know, I'd love to give you wisdom, but you are jacked up mess. I just, I just can't put my wisdom in a, in a vessel like that. It says he gives without finding fault. And the reason he doesn't find fault is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My inability to look in the mirror because I see sin and brokenness, when the God of the universe looks, the reason he sees no fault is he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I wish we all had goggles and we could walk around seeing that in ourselves and one another. Idolatry becomes true worship. In, in the same way that the Morgans came to Grace and said, I love this church, I remember coming to Grace and I've always struggled with like worship being called singing. And I love singing, don't get me wrong. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. And, and I always struggle with like, you know, worship, worship. The wor- like, and I love that Larry, the worship guy who stands right there, that he quotes this verse off in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, expressed in point one, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as we begin to lay down our lives for God instead of this, these things begin to change. Sexual impurity becomes sexual purity. Song of Solomon. I'm not going to preach it. Hold on. I know. And, And here's what I mean by that. If you are single then there's sexual purity based on who you are and where you're at. If you're married, there's sexual purity based on who you are and where you're at. Like wherever you are, sexual purity, we now say this is... Because here's the deal, on all these negatives, don't forget we have an enemy named Satan who wants to deceive and destroy and twist. And so something like sex, which is a gift from God, he says, I'm just going to wreck it. I'm going to send men and women into marriage with guilt and shame and confusion. And the God of the universe said, man, I, I gave them something actually to enjoy. Something pleasant, something to help them survive those hard days of marriage. At least there's a perk. And Satan's like, let me just jack it up. And so again, we're beginning as we flip these to reclaim what God designed. Leaving the truth becomes walking in the truth. I love John the way he says it. John, 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Materialism, the idea that created things are for our consumption, becomes all for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what does that cover? How much of our behavior does whatever you do cover? Everything. And some of you are like, even that? Yeah, even that thing. 
Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because, what? We know God and we want to glorify him, so everything we do is going to be for his glory and to thank him. Sexual deviancy becomes appropriate sex. And again, when you hammer on these people and say, stop it, stop it, stop it, you got to bring them back to the good news. Because you nagging them is not good news. You saying you're broken and manipulated and deviant is not good news. This is good news right here with hope. And so sexual deviancy becomes appropriate sex. Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's a beautiful picture. That's appropriate. Depraved minds become heavenly minds. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, right there, not on earthly things. Full-blown wickedness, I love it, my favorite, becomes clothed in righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like, you don't see it in me, and that's okay. My kids don't see it. I mean, you know, the people that know me don't see it. But when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That alone is a reason to know, glorify, and thank God every day in my life. And then finally, the continue and approve of sin becomes we spur one another on. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on, one another on towards love and good deeds. And remember, the spurring one another on is not guilt or shame or trying to play Holy Spirit. The spurring one another on is saying, brother, how are you doing it? Knowing, glorifying, and thanking God. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit and God's transformation in your life to lead you down this road. Does this make sense? So I want to challenge you, this is the key to unlocking it. And this is what I want us to live in. This is what, when I left Christian college, I wish I'd known. Because I focused on trying harder and trying to perform and doing. And really the answer back there is, is, is in glorifying, thanking, and knowing God. And it's not as complicated as it sounds. When we are loved... When we experience love, that's natural. And for some of us, we may need to take a moment and say, man, do I, do I really absorb and feel the love of Christ in my life? It's there, and your feelings can betray you. In my marriage, there's, there's a line I have. I'm going to give you my marriage pickup line here. You're amazing. I don't deserve you. I have no problem looking her in the eye and saying, oh, I don't deserve you. There's nothing about Will Hoffman that says you should pick me. But I will live every day thankful. And I'm telling you that when we're thankful, we treat someone different. And the God of the universe, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to know him and what he did. We need to glorify him. And then the simplest thing of all is that we thank him. I had some notes on how to close this, and then this smart aleck kid comes up and steals my thunder. So here's what we're going to close with and pray. Ready for it? Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. And I'm not talking about hallmark gratitude. I'm not saying when you're grateful, then it transforms you because now you're thankful. Here's what I mean. And when we acknowledge the gospel and we're thankful, it's good for us, it's good for our families, good for our neighborhoods, it's good for the world, because it, acknowledging the gospel, will transform our lives, and this is good news we can share with others. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you and praise you this morning for who you are. Just, just thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are amazing, that we don't deserve you, but that we can live every day and every moment thankful. Please help us to do that. Many of us in the room, we see things up here that we fail to do, that we want to do. We see things that we know not to do, and we still do, and we're really, really good at it. Help us to take our eyes off the performance, off the behavior, off the fruit, and say, what does it mean to get back to the beginning? What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to have fruit in our lives that's not the fruit of Will Hoffman, because that's some sour, ugly fruit, but it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so my prayer is that we can do it. And thank you that we can. Thank you that that is not hard to do. We can, we can choose in this moment and every moment to follow to know your God, to glorify you, and to give you thanks. And it's not very hard. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.